what does liberation look like for each person listening today? And what aspects of you are oppressed or suppressed or depressed? (laughs) (laughs) And how might we liberate ourselves in such a way so as to restore the sense of, I think for for people, it's very important for us to feel a sense of choice and and self-value. These are things that are very easy to skip over in our society, but we know that they affect every single person. Because when people don't feel like we have worth or value, or when our worth or value is always defined by someone paying us, someone grading us, or, or someone outside of ourselves, it's very easy for our value to be manipulated. That's Davian Zaire. He's a social entrepreneur and I call him a visionary. You might recognize his voice from last week's episode. This is the Denizen Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Jenny Stefanati. In this episode, we're talking about liberation technologies and how we might foster a technology ecosystem centered on our collective well-being instead of profit. Our guests are the team behind Mobius, who works to activate a compassionate, accountable tech ecosystem that centers our collective holistic well-being and empowers more of our planet and its people to thrive. And so their thesis is by activating a tech ecosystem focused on healing and liberation, they will usher in an era of collective wealth and well-being. So our guests are Aiden Van Noppen. She's the founder and co-director of Mobius. She was also a fellow at the Harvard Divinity School and a senior advisor to the U.S. CTO in the Obama administration. So her work is really integrating these contemplative and religious traditions with tech. And as you heard at the top, again, we have Davian Starch out Zaire, who we affectionately refer to as Zai. He is co-director of Mobius with Aiden. He's also an entrepreneur and founder of Origin, an online community-based marketplace, and a recording artist, a true polymath who has also traveled the world studying various indigenous traditions. And finally, Sada King, who's a thought leader at the intersection of social justice, neuroscience, and technology. She was a co-director at Mobius alongside Aiden and Zaire. The three of them have really crafted a significant strategic pivot that we talk about in this conversation. She is currently a fellow, an entrepreneur and founder and CEO of an organization called MindHeart that we'll speak to. She's also a certified yoga and meditation teacher, but I love that on her website, the first thing that she describes herself as is a mother. So in this very rich episode, we discuss all of their respective visions for technology's role in society. Aiden's initial work at Mobius, which started with working directly with big technology companies. So I asked her about her learnings from that phase, which led to their recent strategic pivot. I asked for clarity on what liberation technology means to them, Mobius's theory of change, how they put their visions into practice at Mobius, and Sada's work at MindHeart as an example for what a foundational liberation technology looks like. As always, you can find our show notes on our website, www.becomingdenison.com. There you can also sign up for our newsletter where we bring our content to your inbox alongside other announcements from the Denizen community. Subscribers are invited to join the Denizen community in our online home and also at various online and IRL events. With that, I hope you enjoy this rich and insightful conversation. So I want to start actually asking what your visions are for technology's role in society. And I just love to hear just authentically from each of you as a starting point, what your visions are. And Sada, I'd love to start with you. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. It's just really wonderful to be a part of this community. And I would say that in many ways, I am a newcomer to the tech space. I've been working in academia in so many different fields, but most recently specifically in neuroscience and neurology. And it was really in that space that I started to familiarize myself with the wide variety of digital biomarker measures that are really being produced in this space, not only to look at brain activity and heart activity and general health and wellness, but also looking at what is the neural substrate of love? What are the neural substrates of compassion or forgiveness or gratitude? A lot of these emotions that are really fundamentally the basis of a lot of what we seek to cultivate in contemplative practices that are emergent from so many different ancient wisdom traditions from around the world. And so 
my interest in technology as of late and AI specifically is really looking at the fact that AI is fundamentally biased because of its design, it always will be. And mm. so because of that fact, can we bias AI towards the development and promotion of greater loving mm. awareness in the world? And what would that do to really promote healing inside of our society and maybe at like a real macro level to actually give us the capacity to develop a model of our collective nervous system, collective nervous system in humanity, and actually be able to track the movement of love mm -hmm. as it is developing and, and evolving through our species. And then within that, I think in the tracking and the development of love amongst us, we also have to really get into the nuances of tracking suffering and pain mm -hmm. in, in our collective nervous system and understanding that the way to treat suffering and pain for each individual person is going to be completely unique. So how can AI really begin to tap into this very personalized zone of what it means to support the development of healing and love in individuals and in the collective for the benefit of all sentient beings is what I'd say my, my interest is in. Mm, I love that. That's beautiful. Do you want to add to that, Zai? <laughs> I'll just start by saying that technology absolutely should be something we can operate in harmony with as we are evolving to a world where there's a lot of this direction of autonomous technology, automation. Um, I actually think that doesn't have to be a bad thing. It just depends on how we are in harmony with it. Do we share resonance in a direction of the automation supporting us doing less technical work so we can focus on doing things that are truly more creative and soulful and heart-filled. We can actually spend more time being intentional with our well-being, with the well-being of the communities around us, the environment around us. How might we ultimately be in harmony in a way that liberates us from having to spend so much time doing things that really are not speaking to our hearts or, or our souls and, and allow technology to really be a wonderful support? Allow it to be something that can be a bridge to new possibilities where things are more useful, even from the financial aspect. With all the potential of technology, we could do literally anything we decided to. It's just a matter of what values are we centering in the work. And our hope is absolutely that we center things like compassion. So we're sharing this experience. We center things like shared prosperity and well-being holistically so. So that's that means that we have to be considerate of what is a part of holistic? What is a part of the whole? And that would be each each different trait that, that makes up a person, each experience that's also being considered of differences, similarities in how both people relate to the world and how people self-define. There's a lot that could be mind, body, spirit, heart, if we want to be pragmatic and granular. We could get even deeper into that, like going into things that Sarah beautifully covered when she talked about things that are covered by her work directly, actually. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much potential for it. Right now, we know that we center profit hmm. maximization. Hmm. That is the focus. That's the center. And it's just really important to be clear about what is the center and what we're moving to. Yeah, you know, that's always a hot topic around these parts. And of course, we'll get to that in the conversation. Aiden, let's hear from you. Yeah, well, I'm loving hearing Sarah and Zai articulate their versions. I feel like tech amplifies the best and worst of humanity. So that's on the individual and collective level. So collectively amplifies all the systemic oppression and bias and extraction and so many things. And on the individual level, it also fractures us internally. It can so often numb us out, take us away from presence, increase trauma as opposed to heal. And so when things are built within the context of extractive capitalism, we tend to see, I believe, more of the worst of, of humanity individually and collectively being amplified by tech. But that to me is not, it's not a given. It's sort of the conditions, the foundations that the dominant tech sector is built upon. Mm -hmm. And that can change. The vision that that I hold for tech is one that is truly healing, that mm. that actually brings out the best in us. As Sarah said, it's biased towards that. Mm -hmm. And 
in her definition of, of justice as loving awareness and action, that to me feels like such a beautiful compass for holding what's possible with technology, that it supports us in our individual cultivation of loving awareness and, and then moving towards that towards action and collective. And I think it's essential that tech draws on many ways of knowing, many forms of knowledge, ancient knowledge, ancient wisdom, the knowledge of the earth, the wisdom of the earth, that when we are building the emergence, that we are not leaving behind all of that ancient wisdom. And, and that feels absolutely essential to creating technology that is that is healing, that brings us closer to wholeness. And some of that actually led to the origins of Mobius 1.0, which I can speak to later. But yeah, I think the when technology does that, it does bring us into balance and harmony, as I said. And as opposed to dividing us, it can increase em- empathy and compassion versus dehumanization and oppression. Hmm. And wholeness as opposed to fracturing us internally and across our communities. There's so much more I could say, but we hold that vision of what's possible together, knowing that there's a lot that's broken in our world and in our systems right now that that doesn't have to be that way. I love all of that. And I love hearing it from each of you. And it also feels like such a beautiful vision and such a daunting task of, of shifting from where we are now to there, which was what I'm very excited to get into with you for the rest of the conversation. But Aiden, your comments are actually a great segue into just talking a little bit more about the early days of Mobius and the work that you did because you were in the belly of the beast working within technology companies, understanding the incentives there, but also the intentions and good intentions there. And so I'd love to just hear from you a little bit more about that era of your work. What were the going in assumptions that you had in doing that work? And what were the learnings that have ultimately led, and we'll talk next, about the the pivot in Movius's work? Yeah, well, it's been quite a journey (laughs) these last couple of years and really began with time that I spent as a fellow at Harvard Divinity School, where I was looking at the intersection of technology, ethics, spirituality, and justice. And I was housed within the context of this institution that exists for people to learn the skills of and study many different religious traditions that have to do with care of our souls in in many ways. And yet there was no conversation happening between those that were steeped in that practice and study at the Divinity School, in this context at least, and those that were down the road at the MIT Media Lab or Hmm. across the street at the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society. There was no exchange and conversation around what do these teachings have to offer to the design of the future of what it means to be human. And so I really felt this disconnect in the conversation and whose perspectives were in the room for the design of technology was one big piece of the the origin of Mobius. And we really, as you said, Jenny, we began with wanting to to bring some of those perspectives as well as really speak to and support the folks within big tech who we felt were really aligned with some of our values and concerns around wanting to see significant shifts within what was being prioritized within many of the dominant tech companies to to really alongside profit prioritize the well-being of people who are using these products which is most of the world and so at that time i believed that it was possible to build community amongst people who were doing that work inside of big tech and inside of leadership positions and to provide them with access to advising services, essentially, that brought in different perspectives into the room to help them to actualize visions that they may have for how the the products they're working on can be more ethical, could care for, for people more deeply. And there was a lot of really deep work that happened, both in the advising work that we did as well as through the community building But ultimately, a couple of things motivated this major shift in our strategy. One was that I started to see that the company level, the trade-offs really weren't being made that were needed to shift things as much as they needed to be shifted. There's incredible work happening. Much of it is invisible around harm reduction. But ultimately, my vision and energy was around bigger transformative solutions that shift the incentives. And I just wasn't seeing that happening. 
Mm. And another reason for the shift is that it felt like we were ultimately propping up existing power structures. And I Mm. want to see those power structures shift. I want to see power shift towards people who have been marginalized by the dominant tech sector, who ultimately I feel have the deepest insights into what needs to change and how to change it. And we weren't doing that. So that Mm. felt out of integrity. And I felt that making that shift also meant that the team needed to change. At the time, Mm. we were an all-white leadership team, and our perspectives were not the ones that would create this transformation. And so it really was both a shift towards wanting to support transformational solutions that have the values baked in from the outset Mm. that center justice and love and compassion, and that, that we are explicitly shifting power, attention, resources towards people who've been marginalized by the dominant tech sector to, who have visions for, for how to do that. And still, there's through lines that are really important, such as bringing in many different forms of knowledge and wisdom mm. to support that transformation, as well as the power of community continues to be very central to how I believe change can happen and how we can develop greater moral courage together. We learned a lot. I think we did some powerful things and some important things, but ultimately it was the foundations, the conditions, the DNA mm-hmm. <laughs> needs to shift mm-hmm. um, in order to have the change that that I believe is really needed. I really appreciate that. And I, I, I also very deeply appreciate that your pivot included shifting leadership and understanding that to actualize this, Mobius needs to embody it in its own power dynamics and perspectives that you brought to the table. And yeah, you know, I'm always asking questions about those fundamental incentive structures at the same time, right? There are some really interesting questions about how change happens and how it you know happens within large companies in tandem with things happening in other parts of the ecosystem, which I know is where your attention is focused now. And I want to turn us to that. When we talk about liberation technology or liberatory technology. I know we talked about it a little bit in your visions, but I want to hear more explicitly what that means to you. Zai, let's start with you. And then Sada, I'd love to hear you build on it. Yeah. So very simply, we really just kind of break down each word and or highlight each one and, and understand like, what is liberation? What does liberation look like for each person listening today? And what aspects of you are oppressed or suppressed or depressed (laughs) (laughs) and how might we liberate ourselves in such a way so as to restore the sense of for for people it's very important for us to feel a sense of choice and and self-value these are things that are very easy to skip over in our society but we know that they affect every single person because when people don't feel like we have worth or value or when our worth or value is always defined by someone paying us, someone grading us or or someone outside of ourselves, it's very easy for our value to be manipulated. And so that's really key. And then the choice piece is key, which we all know is huge, especially in a space like technology where consent is just, we know it's very difficult for people to feel like we have any, any sort of real ability to consent without that meaning that we can't participate in a greater ecosystem of technology at large just using regular apps that you would want to use to talk to loved ones and your rights are essentially we're just like yeah we're just signing it away but and then another piece of that is and we talk about this Janie that also leads into things like ownership and whatnot right so like Mm -hmm. but you're not going to have that sense of ownership if you don't feel like you have a choice and you're definitely not going to feel like you have a choice if you don't have the sense of our own value our ability to just make decisions all this to say right now there's just so many aspects of just like even our our rights our respects for ourselves like as as people that are often stripped well what if we restored these things and and then that centers in a conversation of what we where we where we led a little bit earlier which is holistic well-being hmm. so liberatory technology is centering our holistic well-being factoring in things like our ability to choose our confidence in, in ourselves and like the having constant affirmations of our value and, and not being so lopsided and imbalanced in the ecosystem. So mm. yeah, essentially those are the sorts of building blocks that lead us to a space of shared prosperity. I love the quote where the individual flourishes, so does so does the whole. So holistic is also encapsulating the whole of all mm. of us. 
You know, Zai, the, the conversation that came out with Bobby Klein, I mentioned you in it. And he talks about all the lies that we tell ourselves. And he says the biggest lie that we tell ourselves is that we're not worthy. And I mentioned oh. you because you always talk about our worthiness because of our being. Simply. Yeah. We always say by birth on earth, we are valid. It's funny because, you know, we, it's, we have the famous phrase of to be or not to be. Hmm. You know, that's the question. And it's funny because at this point, it's so ingrained that where we wouldn't even know why it's so significant. <laughs> we would hmm. just say it just because uh, for some reason to be or not to be. Hmm. Yeah, that is an interesting question. Or it's inserted into like the arts and it's said to be like, what is the greatest of our time or of, of our lives? But it is really an essential thing. So if we are to be, then how are we to be? And hopefully well. Hopefully mm. we are well. I'm pretty sure mm. everyone here wants to be able to say that in our life, in your life, you want to be well. You love to be able to feel secure and safe, comfortable in your own skin, in your own being, in your own body, in your community. <laughs> These are needs. So how many of our needs can we truly respond to with care mm. and love at the center of it? And that that sort of approach is what lends itself to liberatory mm. technology, because that's what the focus of the technology would be. Mm. Just I mean, just imagine that, right? Like everything being built is actually constructed, centering your needs to care. Mm. So just very different perspective. And this is what Tristan was trying to get at a time well spent in the early I don't know if you knew that, but the early framing around it was time well spent. And it is some language that that Zach picked up at Facebook, although obviously the incentives of, of quarterly earnings are, are a tidal wave against the little drips in that direction. Sada, I'd love to hear from you. You want to build on that? I just am always so enamored with the way that Zai describes his perspective on liberation, and particularly when he's talking about concepts around worth and choice and mm. self-value. As a neuroscientist, one of the things that is a really deep part of my focus is trauma. And when I talk about trauma, I'm actually talking about the the trauma response that is built into our autonomic nervous system that causes us to go into fight or flight or freeze or faint. And one of the primary ways in which the trauma response is activated inside of us is whenever we have some sense that our choice is being taken away, whenever we have a sense that we're entering into a space where we do not experience belonging, when we are, because of the body that we have been born into, made to feel that we have to question constantly our self-worth and our self-value, it can be very challenging to have a really deeply intrinsic sense of, exactly like Zai said, by fact of my birth on earth, I'm worthy of being here, right? And I think that a lot of what we're seeing right now in the conversation with the negative impacts of social media, for instance, is that a lot of these feelings of disenfranchisement and separation from this intrinsic sense of self-worth is really being heightened by a lot of the imagery that is being reflected back to us. And this imagery is really telling a story that is antithetical to our capacity to really feel into our fundamental aliveness, right? And so I'm really fascinated with this concept that just because you are technically living doesn't mean that you are connected to your aliveness. So what is, subjectively speaking, the felt qualities of aliveness when we feel like we're in flow, when we're falling in love, when we're connected to deep feelings of curiosity and awe and particularly interconnection and interconnection interconnectedness is something it's a very essential part of the fabric of being human that is being so mm. worn away at right now when we're talking about all these conversations about this epidemic of divisiveness that is so politicized mm. and that is really resulting in very very real very literal harm death and just a total lack of psychological, emotional, and physical safety for a lot of particularly marginalized human beings across the planet, right? To me, this speaks to the idea that one of my mentors likes to say that one of the greatest lies that is operating currently is the myth of the separate self. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this right? comes up and a lot. <laughs> especially in this hyper-individualistic um, mm -hmm. culture that is so embedded into the 
cultural climate of technology. And it really is this dog eat dog mentality. And then we're looking at this epidemic of loneliness, mm-hmm. which is also tied to so many of the acts of violence that we see, particularly in the United States, when you're just looking at mass shootings, right? And so I think that there is a huge call, there's a huge quest to understand what types of technology can reconnect us to one another, to our original fundamental state of being, which in a Mm -hmm. lot of indigenous communities and, and in a lot of ancient traditions, they say that love an awareness of ourselves as love is our original state. Mm. So how do we get back to that? And I think that liberatory technology really is a huge part of the key to the answer to that mm. question. That's such a such a beautiful provocation in a current state where technology is doing the exact opposite. The mm-hmm. provocation is how can it bring us back to to ourselves and one another? And I just I really appreciated the comments you made about connecting to our aliveness. Because it's not just the hyper-individualism that disconnects us from each other and leads us to optimize for ourselves and our own accumulation, but also the disconnect. It's almost like, you know, the epidemic of capitalism as I see it, right? And which obviously rose from the intellectual traditions. You know, we talked about that in some of our conversations as well, but also this disconnect from ourselves. And we lose our aliveness because when we connect to that, it's when we have those flow states. Right? And I love yeah. how much all three of you are so versed in traditions that bring us back to that internal knowing of who we are. Yeah. And that's really the denizen provocation is what does it mean to be a denizen of yourself and your community and the planet? Our logo is three Ds embedded to those things. So you're really speaking my language today. Thank you so much for that. Well, I want to talk about So we've got the big vision and we've got clarity more specifically around what we mean by liberation technology. Let's talk about your thoughts around how we get there. So what's the theory of change that underpins the work that Mobius is doing now? Aiden, can you take that one? Yeah, sure. Well, I will say building off of what you just named, Jenny, about the denizen of our being the denizen of ourselves, Mobius is named after the Mobius strip, which is a shape that has a mathematical property of having no separation between the inside and the outside of the shape. Mm. And so it breaks down the illusion of the separation between our inner life and what we create in the world and how we are in the world. That has always been and continues to be absolutely Mm. core to what we believe in, how we believe change happens. And so a big piece of that is beginning with embodying the conditions of liberation ourselves Mm. and embodying the elements that we would hope that the that the wider world and the tech sector also embody. So all of these things that Azai and Sarah just named, and that means not moving at the speed of capitalism. <laughs> that means <laughs> not moving at the speed of whiteness. It means all of these things that are really um, a deep, deep practice for myself. And the deepest practice of my life has been alongside Azai and Sarah, really deepening that integrity and embodiment. And so it all begins with that in terms of the theory of change. And then in terms of the the strategy, we we really believe that. Can I just say, every, though, how yeah. important that is and how often that is overlooked? Many well-intentioned interventions don't realize that they're not reforming to the core and they're inadvertently replicating the very things that they seek to change. So I just want to applaud you for that insight mm. in your work. Mm. Yeah, it, it is such a big part of why this world is is sick in the way that it is. <laughs> and so our hope is to be some of the medicine for ourselves and then therefore be, be medicine for, for others and for, for the systems that we're trying to transform. And yeah, you're absolutely right that it is oftentimes not what happens, even when people are deeply, deeply committed to similar visions. So yeah, Zai, were you going to jump in with something? I was going to say, you can, you know, we can change the color of the hat and not change the fabric. It's just, if it's still wired into it, I just love that you're really unpacking the threads of it because you're you're absolutely right. There's a lot of things that we're even saying right now and today where I feel like there's so many of these types of statements and a lot of them really just deserve time to sink. Like the fact that by birth on earth we're valid, how do we actually bring that to life? A lot of times we focus on the branding over something as opposed to like that reconstruction or or allowing for something new to emerge altogether. We would rather just paint over something than really 
understanding how to tend to what's already there. Aiden, please continue. I just really wanted to riff with y'all on that about slowing down to really acknowledge some of those points. Yeah, see, there he goes, embodying it, (laughs) embodying the slowing down. (laughs) So good. Thank you, Zai. Yeah, and I would just say that in terms of our our theory of change, that we really believe that the, the people, the capital, the wisdom, the technology, the imagination that's needed to transition to a more liberatory tech ecosystem all of it already exists in abundance, but it's it's disconnected, it's not resourced, it's not recognized or holistically supported. And so we believe that those things need to be connected, resourced, revealed, and that the people who are creating this ecosystem already need to be supported in their whole beings. And so Mobius is we're a home for people, product systems, and stories that are centering well-being and our holistic thriving. So it's really a home for unlocking the liberatory tech ecosystem, focusing on the people first, really. And and so we're designing support structures for those people through primarily structures of community and a trust, a financial trust that I will speak more to. And both of those things really centering well-being and compassion versus extraction and profit maximization. So really mm-hmm. demonstrating and embodying an alternative way of creating a foundation for a tech ecosystem that is liberatory and healing that takes the form of giving rise to liberatory tech products, mm. to frameworks and protocols, and to new narratives and stories about what's possible. The pivot from Mobius 1.0 to 2.0 reminds me of that Buckminster Fuller quote. It's actually front and center on the Denizen website that you don't change the existing system. You design a new system that makes the old system obsolete, mm-hmm. right? So you were in the, yeah. So you're here like, let's let that broken tech system do what it's doing, but let's create, let's create a supportive ecosystem for this different way of being and figure out how to resource that and how to give it a competitive advantage if it's possible over the highly extractive big tech runaway degradation of society <laughs> ecosystem yeah. that we're all familiar with. Yeah. If I may just jump in really quickly, because there's one detail that's super important to add to this conversation is, you know, I think that a lot of people listening to this conversation could probably relate to what I'm about to say. There really aren't a lot of structures of accountability mm. that exist in practice. And I would go so far as to say that this statement applies across all sectors. Mm. When it comes to having real relational practices of accountability that center mm. healing, this question of how do we heal ourselves individually and together, and that the process of really excavating right? What it means to heal. And I'm talking about healing holistically, spiritually, physiologically, emotionally, psychologically, and the kind of depth of vulnerability that is required to share Mm. about those processes, right? I think for some people, healing is a little bit of a dirty word. It's like, oh no, if I admit that I need to heal, that's admitting that I'm broken. It's admitting that something is, is wrong, right? And so there can be a real shying away from that. And what I have experienced inside of the Mobius ecosystem is this real depth of prioritizing the creation of an accountability structure grounded in healing together such that all of the actions that we are producing in the world, whether it is about actual product development or narrative shift, whatever it is, really is coming from this deeply felt psycho-spiritual cellular place of our process of healing Mm. together. And I just don't think that that's something that we can honestly say is happening Mm. in a lot of the big tech sector, quite frankly. Well, I think you used a really important word, which is also vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And so much of human, deep human connection comes in that space. Yeah. Right? Whereas the default is somehow I'm less than. Yeah. (laughs) If I, I show my humanness and my need to heal. So I very much appreciate your comments there. And of course, any of you at any time, feel free to jump in. Aiden, do you want to speak any more to the theory of change or should we hand it to Zai to talk about the trust and actually how that's instantiated in 
in the work that you're doing? Nothing else I would say about the theory of change itself, except just to yeah. acknowledge how central Zion Sarah have been to the development of this mm. part of the this evolution of the strategy. So, and that happened a, a little over a year ago, and both of them were deep inspirations to me even before that officially quote unquote happened. Let's talk about the trust. This is the part where I get really excited. <laughs> Let's talk about legal structures and governance because this is where the rubber hits the road. This has been a wonderful opportunity to talk about things like while we're living, are we truly alive? And how alive are we while we're here? We've been able to talk about choice and ownership and self-worth. We've also been able to talk about liberatory technology and, and liberatory products, narratives, the people that are actually doing the work and how we're centering the unlocking of this ecosystem where things aren't focused on profit maximization or, ex- or extraction, where we look at everything as a commodity, but we're able to really look at, well, how can we share and care for what's here together? So it's a, it's a really f- fundamental shift that depending on the community we even grew up in, some of us say, you know, we'll say that the indigenous communities carry this wisdom forth. And, and this is absolutely true. And also we can know that just from our life experiences, we appreciate being loved. We appreciate being cared for. We appreciate being in spaces where we feel safe. We appreciate feeling like we have a the ability to choose, so on and so forth. So these are all things that we're considering for as we look at holistic well-being and we look at the whole of us all. And how do we actually build for that, centering these sorts of values? And one way that is very important is one that actually enables us to be funded to build this ecosystem, right? And a big hangup for people who are investing or or funding, and and that that could be anyone here, that could be what we might consider the world's billionaires or people who are looking to grow their portfolios. A huge hangup, even though their hearts might say, man, I sure would love to do something that would not be so ill-aligned with communities or people. It doesn't feel great to just exploit off of people's pain and traumas and things like that. Industries feel about these things. But, but how would I actually still protect and preserve myself when it comes to putting my resources in that direction? How can I still live <laughs> and prosper while I'm here? And so the trust is a response to these sorts of things and and built with consideration for that. So right now we are in the early stages of constructing a pilot where we create a special purpose trust that transitions us from from, uh, transaction-based relationships to them being trust-based. And from this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, got to get it for me, to a true we in terms of who's considered to be a part of the commonwealth. So we're going from like the private piece to like shared wealth, right? And in it, we have to, there's like a lot of questions like, well, okay, so imagine like a very simple thing is, okay, so I'm a part of this, so I've I've poured resources into this trust, right? How am I actually taken care of? I put money or my ideas or my land or whatever resources might support the liberatory tech ecosystem. And we're going in this direction together, but how do I, what, what's my return? What's my reward? It's a very natural question. I actually think it's a, a good question because well, most of A tough question too. And it's a tough Very question. non-trivial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, what do we need from it too? Something that we skip over a lot of times uh-huh. is our needs. 100%. And what those things really actually are. Our lives are so full of things far beyond our needs that, we, that we've that we reassociated with needs. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I also feel like the answer to that question is a function of relative need. Yes. Like absolutely. what is collective absolutely. abundance, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that's what are our needs in, in order to insert fill in the blank. And so our, our hope would be that from this pilot, we would have basically introduced an evolutionary financial instrument. Hmm. that is compatible with pre-existing corporate forms. So, you know, everything from the formation of an LLC to the formation of a B Corp to the formation of a nonprofit and or not-for-profit to being able to receive funding from various sources, whether that be a family foundation, an angel investor, or whatever, however you might fall into the space of the pouring side of the ecosystem, right? 
And then ultimately, one really important thing about this trust is, well, what are the terms that we are agreeing to here? It's a very fundamental piece, right? If it is to be that we are sharing prosperity, well, there's some there's some definitions that we have to set as to what that actually looks like, what that means. And we have to agree to start. And And in that, that's something that we can continue to build on, continue to grow. Terms can be updated. There, I imagine that there will be new forms of, of things that are similar hmm. in terms of trust, given its its effectiveness and its its ability to prove that. Literally, we are one trust away, if you will. I want to draw this point really quickly about trust. And Jenny, you've heard you know, I say this before, and it's written, a body that can't trust its parts shuts down. So, so without trust... Nothing is, is, is really fluid or, or able to function and flow, even if it's information that needs to be passed through your body, even if it's information that needs to pass through the body of a, of a people or of a country. And so this it's the same thing if we're applying it over to a space like technology. We're not able to really have the sort of flow that really enables life mm. when everything is so transactional. Mm. And actually, it takes up a lot of time. It's actually really tedious. <laughs> and it's annoying. Who wants to do that all the time? And I know that some of us, we, we might say that we're passionate about, you know, this sort of space. But it's like, just for a second, you know, slow down, breathe, imagine an ideal day where you just feel good. Or remember a day where you felt good. And also, if, if that's not the case, if you didn't have a day where you felt good, reflect. And it's important for us to allow ourselves to create and imagine from a space of, okay, yeah, this feels really good. Like, and there's not all these extra, oh, I got to go in here and prove my worth. I got to go in here and and state the worth. I got to go in here and negotiate that out and Mm. so on and so forth. You know, you're not playing the value game all the time, which is such a huge part of our reality from everything. (laughs) So, you allow people to, to know that we're valuable and allow us to know for ourselves. I want to say you allow, we allow ourselves and also having technology that complements and reminds and enables and encourages and empowers. A huge point of technology is making it simpler for us to be able to accomplish something else, mm. right? And so what is it that we're making it simpler for us to actually reach and access and I believe that, that a trust is also, you know, it's, it's effectively a form of a technology as well. It's something that enables us to step into a certain direction. Of course, we're talking about piloting right now. It would be really nice to to see more models like this emerge over the next decade. I love that you're walking the walk all the way down to the structures and experimenting with that and hopefully will inspire others to follow suit. Well, I wanted to talk, Sada, a little bit more about your work to just close out the conversation because you are a Mobius fellow <laughs> and CEO and founder of Mindheart, just to land us in a, a very concrete example of a liberation technology. And maybe you could speak a little bit to, to how sitting in the Mobius ecosystem is supporting your work. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important to mention that my being a Mobius fellow is, is actually a, a very recent pivot. And so I was a co-director of science and healing inside of the Mobius space up until fairly recently when we started to really get deeply into the question of how do we open up this incredible space of practice and healing and experimentation with liberatory tech foundations, of which Zai has been such a powerful author to others who could really benefit from what it is that we have been beta testing amongst ourselves. And then we realized that right in our midst was this process that I was undergoing of developing a liberatory technology. So through uh, MindHeart, I am developing the world's first 3D interactive AI-integrated map of human awareness, which is extraordinarily exciting to me that it just really feels as though all of the different types of technology that I need in order to create this map have really come together at the same point in time, um, historically speaking. So this map is meant to really harvest two different types of data. So it takes qualitative data from what it is that you communicate to it, either through speech or through text. 
And this is so important to mention because when Zai is talking about the importance of really feeling as though all of our experiences of being alive are incredibly valid, I really can't think of technology that exists where literally any experience that you communicate to it is meant to be treated as having the utmost of value, especially in terms of how it is that we're cultivating awareness of our internal states of well-being and how those are impacted by collective well-being external to us. And that it's also going to take that qualitative subjective information about our awareness of our well-being and sync it up with digital biomarkers from like a wearable. And so it's really going to be looking at things like heart rate variability and blood pressure and movement and just all of these different wonderful measures that can be captured right now in terms of our health behavior. And it's really going to look at and examine and produce beautiful data visualizations to show us in a moment-by-moment basis the incredible complexity of the experience of aliveness as it relates to our well-being that we're having inside of our body. Hmm. And one of the things that I think is so unique about this map of human awareness is the way in which it it integrates the data of the experience of our identity. As identity really is, it's huge. It, it, it includes all of this information about the ways that we experience ourselves as intersectional beings, right? It includes all of this uh, intergenerational information, right? So information that is coming from all of the experiences of our ancestors, as they have been moving and shifting and behaving through space and time. And then it's also going to be looking at epigenetic factors. And one of the things that we're so excited about is that all of this information, number one, because this is very sensitive data, right? We're talking about literally all of the data that can be gathered from the perspective of one's awareness, being aware. And we want to house all of this data on the blockchain so that any person who is coming to the MindHeart platform to interact with the systems-based awareness map really feels a sense of total ownership and choice over their own data. So first you get a systems-based awareness map, but the point of this map and these gorgeous data visualizations is not just that people be aware, right? Awareness is important because what you aren't aware of, you really don't have any capacity to heal or to attend to, right? And so once you get this data visualization around what you are aware of or the gaps in your awareness in terms of your experience of well-being, this will produce what we're calling a loving awareness map. And the loving awareness map is going to connect you to a wide variety of digital or IRL well-being services that are being suggested to you, whether this is AI-generated art therapy or sound healing, or you're getting connected to yoga therapists or acupuncturists or medical doctors, or even connecting you to community-based services, right, that are going to really deepen your feelings of meaning and belonging. Any of the services or places or spaces, even out in nature, right, that could be recommended to someone on this platform to support their well-being, are going to be incredibly personalized Mm. on the basis of this data of human awareness. And so in short, this is the liberatory technology that as a fellow, I'm really being held and creating inside of the Mobius space. And I would also be remiss not to mention that Zai has been really spending a lot of time looking at what he describes as liberatory tech foundations. And mm, I was about to comment, yeah. To describe from his point of view what those are, but really looking at, at, at you know, with every single level of this creative process of generating this map of human awareness, that the fundamentals of trust and liberation and freedom and loving awareness are built into every single operational capacity, all the way down to our business practices, our marketing, every single aspect of the business is really going to be seeded with this incredible liberatory framework of size. And I think that that's really important to mention because it's so wonderful to have the opportunity to be building a liberatory technology company from the ground up with these incredibly liberatory principles mm. really baked into the DNA of everything that we do. 
Because in my experience, there are a lot of companies right now that are really having to try to, if you will, reverse engineer liberation or healing or well-being of some sort into their business practices. And that can be really difficult to do when that isn't prioritized from the very beginning and prioritize all the way to the level of, you know, how it is that we are embodying the process of liberation ourselves Mm. and our relationships with one another inside Mm. of the space. So I'll stop there in case Zai wants to hop in and speak a little bit to these Liberatory Tech Foundations, because I think it would be a really beautiful opportunity to hear a little bit more about that. The Libertech Foundations are essentially a reassessment of the approach that we take to creating altogether as it relates to things that we're going to launch into the world. So from from a technological framework, like how are we building? What materials are we building with? What sort of things do we need to be considerate of? How are we viewing those that we serve? Are we viewing them as consumers or users? Are we viewing them as shareholders? And as a member of a participant, an active participant in a community. And so it's, it's really foundations that enable greater choice to be in alignment with more compassionate values. So if you so chose, you could actually continue to, if you're like, hey, like, I just like capitalism. <laughs> I just like, I like the extraction. I like to, to do the whole, the take. And, and this is the way that I know. And this is the way I want to do it. You could absolutely continue to choose to. But this is ultimately for those that are opting in for, hey, we have a surplus of resources. How might we actually share? How might we share? So it's enabling choice and and consent as like protocols in order for us to be able to kind of vote in a direction actually with our choices. Mm. You know how strongly I feel about that theory of change. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's both for the builders. It's for the everyone that's a part of the ecosystem is who it's for. So that, that mm. again, that would be those that are capital isn't as strict as cash, but from an investment perspective, that would be those who might consider themselves investors. But I think that that, that it's key that we even look at stuff like that with fo- our foundations, right? Like with our foundations, we will and are publishing works around the, the terms, like traits of liberatory technology, things to consider. And the term investment for an investor, for instance, like everyone here is an investor, right? Like you're investing your time or your energy in listening to this. You are investing your time or energy into work at a company. You're investing a part of your life in almost every exchange, right? And some of us have gotten really good at investing in in a way that kind of freezes time and it goes, hey, (laughs) this is the deal around me putting my time or my energy into this thing. And so those are the kind of things that we factor in for the foundations. And, and we hope that this enables things like, you know, Sarah mentioned data. We hope that this enables people to even be rewarded simply for sharing our most authentic data. So, you know, we just have data pools of genuine information about people and about our experiences. Why is that important? So we can actually have the clarity around how to really provide care to really understand who we are and what our needs are and how do we meet them with technology and technology that's built on pure genuinely shared information that people are rewarded for i mean just imagine that imagine sharing your information Hmm. and just being rewarded for it because you're being honest you're being rewarded for sharing your honest life story (laughs) or parts about yourself that you feel comfortable sharing Today, we don't even get necessarily pure information in that way, authentic information, because so much of it is actually so much of the information that is grabbed about us is grabbed in a cycle around commerce and how we can game you to be- to best understand you and your impulses to play off of those to get you to drive our profit margins. Yeah. And that's very different from just like, hey, honest conversation. This is exactly how I'm actually feeling. This is what I'm really experiencing. These are my challenges. You know what I mean? Like this is it's such a huge... That's what the platform is about. Exactly. Absolutely. And so imagine just an entire ecosystem of technologies that take us further in this direction, that are able to utilize information from the works of of Sarah and systems-based awareness map and 
and the supports that that's able to provide just there being an entire ecosystem of things that even able to utilize that sort of information where it's like people are just really sharing in real time and so i'll pause there and Hmm. leave space but so important that we who are here can be able to slow down and recognize our active participation in the development of foundations and platforms and technologies that further our progress towards a world where and then communities, really communities where we can be ourselves and be well, that's a powerful shift. We opened with a question for all three of you. I'd love to close with one for all three of you, which is just, what gives you hope? Aiden, we haven't heard from you in a bit too. Would you like to start? Sure. (laughs) What gives me hope? I describe myself as an optimist, but I also hold deeply the grave realities of these times that we live in. What gives me hope is that I feel like there is a collective waking up that's Mm -hmm. happening right now with waking up to how dire things are, but also the opportunity and the need for things to change. That doesn't mean that change is easy or that desire is shared, but it feels like many of us have been living in the trance of the religion of capitalism, of the the trance of white supremacy and patriarchy, and that there is a, a certain amount of that trance starting to dissipate for many people. And that is, to me, it's just the beginning mm-hmm. of the kind of transformation that we need, but it is such a necessary ingredient to realize that the way that we have been living is a choice. Mm. It is not inevitable. Sada. Yeah, I'd love to jump in here and just say that as a mother of a 15-year-old girl, the youth give me an incredible amount of hope. Mm. And I also want to really uplift everything that Aiden just said so incredibly. But the youth of today have such an extraordinary capacity to view their vulnerability as strength. And they seem to be extraordinarily empathetic and compassionate and attuned to how important their sense of individual well-being is, but also how it is tied into the whole, to collective well-being. And I, I think that they are extraordinary, and I really look forward to the opportunity to have their voices and perspectives really uplifted and empowered inside of a liberatory technology space like Mobius. Mm, I really appreciate that. Zai, you want to take us home? Yes, absolutely. I really just feel like it's important for us to remind as we close the conversation that we are here today and this is what we're talking about. And I think it's really powerful because this is actually something we're dedicating our time and our lives, life energy to. (laughs) And that means an incredible lot. (laughs) And we know that there's community around this work. And we know that we are slowing down to embody the practices of what we what we hope for the outcomes to be. It's one thing to hope for the outcome and not walk the practice, but we really are slowing down to learn, to listen, to release practices that are not healthy, you know, or supportive of our aliveness, like just us really living and, and being able to do so together. Again, this is not an individualistic thing. But it does prioritize the individual, so it also prioritizes each of us. So that's super inspiring to know that um, we're even here talking about this, doing this work in real life today, um, and that there are plenty of models across history where we, we have been able to actually be in full alignment. Mm. And there's so much we don't know, too, just stories that just haven't been shared because that wasn't what was favorable to building the system of extraction that we have today. So, yeah, listen, at the end of the day, our well-being is essential for life and how we are. So, hmm. I just appreciate you three so much. You're all so brilliant. You're such an incredible, brilliant team together. I'm grateful for your work and for your wisdom, and I'm excited to share that with our community and audience and also support your work. Thank you so much, Jenny, for, for having us. and. For everyone who's taken the time to listen. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to Scott Hansen, also known as Tycho, for our musical signature. In addition to this podcast, you can find resources for each episode on our website, 
www.becomingdenizen.com, including transcripts and background materials. For our most essential topics like universal basic income, decentralized social media, and long-term capitalism, we also have posts summarizing our research, which make it easy for listeners to very quickly get an overview of these particularly important and foundational topics. On our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter where we bring our weekly podcast to your inbox alongside other relevant Denizen information. Subscribers are invited to join our podcast recordings and engage with the Denizen community in our online home, The Den. We're partnered with some incredible organizations at the forefront of the change that we talk about. We share announcements from them in our newsletter as well. Finally, this podcast is made possible by support from the Denizen community and listeners like you. Denizen's content will always be free. Offering Denizen as a gift models a relational rather than a transactional economy, enabling Denizen to embody the change that we talk about on this podcast. Through the reciprocity of listeners like you, that we are able to continue producing this content. You can support us or learn more about our gift model on our website. Again, that's www.becomingdenizen.com. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.